intensity of the moment. Kolek airs it out, looking for Kerrigan. Body to body, Kerrigan's got it! Burtstack, Blake, trying to throw it wide open, Max Castle, and the DC Breeze hold on, the New York Empire. Yacht looking to the end zone. He's got Babbitt on the far side, double coverage. Babbitt got it! New York wins it at the buzzer! Garvey throws it up easy, Williams. An anticlimactic end to the game. Four, one more to go. One, here it goes. This is for the game. Up into the end zone. Who's going to get there? It's caught! Jack Williams takes it down! Jack Williams with three. Williams goes across the field. It's a jump ball to decide the game. And it comes down to the hands of Ben Yacht, who catches the winner on his 30th birthday to send New York to the Final Four. Welcome back. It's Swing Pass Week 3 Preview Pod coming up next. I am Adam Ruffner, as always, joined by my co-host, Daniel Cohen. There are some big power matchups heading into the third weekend of the 2023 AUDL regular season. Number one versus number two in the power rankings, taking center stage in the AUDL game of the week on Saturday night with the DC Breeze 2-0 hosting the 2-0 reigning champion New York Empire in what is sure to be another classic episode in their epic East Division rivalry matchup. And then in the South Division, Austin goes on the road to take on Atlanta and then Carolina on back-to-back nights. One of the most brutal road trips to test a Soul team looking to summit the South Division. It will be the first true test for the Soul, who have quite frankly breezed through their first two competitors and interstate rivals of this fresh season. We're also going to touch on a couple of other important matchups throughout the rest of the divisions, but... As we always do, we're going to cut away the fat and just get right to it. So, New York, D.C. We've had this game circled on the calendar since the 2023 schedule dropped. Every single time these two teams meet, it feels like it comes down to a one-goal decision. The last time being in the East Division Championship game, which of course was won by a Jack Williams walk-off buzzer beater to birthday boy Ben Yacht to advance to their third straight, or excuse me, fourth straight championship weekend as a franchise. Breeze, of course, have reloaded over the offseason. We've told the story a thousand times. They won against Carolina in week one in the AUDL game of the week. They won last weekend, holding on for dear life against a Philly team rallying in the Breeze's 2023 home opener. Daniel, what are you looking forward to in this matchup? There's a thousand different ways we could dissect this game. It feels like every individual one-on-one uh, matchup is just tantalizing. Where should mm-hmm. we start? It's a great question. I was going to ask you, by the way, so we're recording this podcast before I've seen this week's power rankings. You still have DC as the as the number two team? I do. I do. Okay. Yeah. Was there I mean, any was there any hesitation with that? Yes. It, I, I'll get to my concerns about DC. I, I have a few. Sure. But, and I, I write about them as well in this week's article, which is forthcoming on the AUDL.com website. But um, I guess I can get into it here now. I think DC is the second best team, and I think that they've showed that mostly. Uh, you know, there's the the talent is there. Uh, the mm-hmm. offense at times looks like the Breeze offense that has been so so good the past two seasons in particular has finished within the top three in offensive efficiency each of the last two seasons. Their defense is tenacious right now. I mean. AJ Merriman, Alexander Fall, uh, Jasper Tom, Musa Ja, everyone is just getting after the disc. It feels like mm-hmm. on go-to discs, discs into space, Breeze are just winning against their matchups. I mean, Troy Holland was uh, <laughs> winning in game. foot races again and again against Phoenix offensive players and stars in Sunday's matchup. Um, they get takeaways. They've been ruthlessly effective on the counter, too. Part of that has mm-hmm. been growing on the D-line, but honestly, it's mostly the veterans. Like, David Bloodgood is leading a lot of their counterattacks. A.J. Yep. Merriman has a howitzer and isn't afraid to show it if he gets an opportunity to strike deep. Alexander Fall and Musa Jaw are just jailbreaking off of turns. They each finished with four goals this past weekend. 
But this is kind of what I'm getting at. For as much as I'm impressed by the Breeze defense, I'm starting to have questions about the offense. Something yeah. isn't right here, and I don't know what it is. For all of the talent that they have, for all yeah. the new additions, they're struggling with rhythm. They're struggling with consistency, which is like the weirdest thing for me to say about this DC offense. I think I've been on record multiple times saying that they were one of the teams that I trust the most in like an abstract sense of when I think about what does a sure. good offensive drive look like? I often imagine the DC breeze and they've certainly shown that, right? Like they, they have yeah. these drives and these possessions where you go, yep, that's the breeze. They're weaving on people. They're switching sidelines and point of attack. And it's just sort of all winding up to this moment where an easy breakaway goal happens for like Christian Boxley say, but yeah. it, it doesn't feel like that's happening right now. And, and especially against Philly in that second half, they were just yielding short field break conversions to the Phoenix defense, almost like possession after possession. And they just kind of couldn't stop the hemorrhaging. DC had to pull Rowan from their, from D line and kind of panic mm-hmm. insert him into the offense in order to provide some stability. And it's just, that's shocking to me in the second game, given all of the new talent and everything that they brought on. But I don't know what it is. I, I want to say something trite, like lack of focus. I think sometimes the DC <laughs> offense is just taking looks that they don't need to, quite frankly. They're they're attempting yeah. hucks. They're, they're, they're attacking in an over-aggressive manner that, frankly, doesn't really suit them. You know, they're a grind-style offense. They wear teams down. And it just feels like right now... They're letting opposing defenses off the hook sometimes. They're giving them these these turnovers that then the other team goes, oh, okay. You know, like Carolina initiated a comeback in week one and tied up the game. Philly was damn near able to overcome the breeze in the second half this past Sunday. It's it's odd. It's uncanny. It I, is. I don't know what it is. Do, do you? Well, right. I th- and that's, that's the oddest part. It's like, it's hard to pinpoint because... I don't even view it as like a team chemistry issue because you still watch them and a lot of their possessions, they still kind of have like that familiar DC flow. But right, I think I point to the decision making and their Huck stats the past two games, their first two games of the season, they were three for seven against Carolina. I think Malks had four throwaways in that game and then they were four for 11 against Philly. I'm pretty sure Malks only had one throwaway against Philly, so it's not just him, but yeah, I think there were just like a few too many possessions that I've seen this year that result in looks that don't exactly make sense and kind of go against the the trend and the direction that we've seen this DC system taking the past few seasons. So yeah, it's like it's like uncharacteristic mistakes that are are just kind of mental. Like it's not a chemistry thing. It's not like, you know, someone thinks a cutter is going in and they actually cut out, so then it's a throwaway. I don't know. It's it's hard to pinpoint, I agree, but Against New York, like the the margins are just so slim, so it, it feels like New York just doesn't have the same questions, right? It's interesting because these yeah. te- these games against with these two teams, almost always it feels like it's just going to be a turnover battle with the offenses, right? Like that's that's what it is. It's just whoever can play the cleanest, whoever can play the most consistent, and it, it kind of depends game to game. But in this one, I almost feel like the emphasis is more on the D lines. Here and and just the ability to, con- to convert off of those breaks, which is often the case when turnovers come into premium, but even more so now, like both these D lines being led by like rock solid backfields. You got Bloodgood and Rowan with DC. You got Jr. and Ben Katz with New York. Like it's just it's it's basically an O line every time there's a turnover, right? And then you have these like big downfield presences that are all like fully capable offensive players. So I almost focus my attention more on that defensive side. And I think that's going to be what can allow DC to stay in this game, assuming they have similar offensive struggles that they've had the first two weeks. I wanted to stick on DC's offensive struggles just one moment longer. And I do think that it may be a problem with uh, a problem of many, you know, we, we talked about going into the season, they've got 10 players that they can work into starting rotation on offense Mm-hmm. I worry that there's diminishing returns on that kind of depth. I worry a little bit that it's not like Andrew Roy isn't playing well, but isn't getting the kind of touches he was used to in Minnesota. And he's so good when he's in rhythm. It's kind of like 
Like right. what happens with him, it feels like is that it's such a balanced attack on DC's offense that they don't need to work through him. And so he can swing the disc and he might not see it for another 10 passes. That's I kind of feel that with Edmonds Andrew Roy has been too. playing for the wind chill. He's been Edmonds know, also. Yeah. It's like, it's high volume players needing to kind of like take a step back and reassess their roles in this new system. And yeah, I agree. It's not like it's not working necessarily, but rhythm is like a pretty key thing with certain players that are used to a lot of volume. So yeah, I mean, well, I think that is definitely good to point to. Where they've really struggled, honestly, is in these situational ultimate uh, predicaments where it's like a dead disc and the defense is trapping them on the sideline or something. It's it's often within the first five passes that these lapses are happening for the breeze. And mm-hmm. that is so unlike where they've been. It's felt like they've been one of the best teams of pushing into the attacking half of the field and kind of, always being always applying pressure to the opposing defense and right now I don't know if it's the polling rules I don't know if it's how teams are playing them but it feels like they're a little bit more backed up and it's taking them more energy to get into their sets and their looks because because when they get to that second level and all of a sudden it's it's Boxley and time on just weaving people to death and now you've got Edmonds and they can they can recenter the disc backwards and do a whole bunch of Andrew Roy stuff like when they get into that, it's like like they showed at times in their week one matchup against the Flyers, like they're a very championship level team on offense, but it it's not happening as consistently as they want it to. And and specifically for this matchup, that's gonna be a huge problem because <laughs> New York might have the best defense ever this season. I'm not kidding. I know whether played a team wall, I know Toronto <laughs> We might have gotten overhyped on Toronto a little bit given the weekend. <laughs> we'll that they pump just the brakes a little bit on Toronto. Yeah, for now. you know, for now. I, I understand that it hasn't been the most top flight competition that the Empire is facing, <laughs> and it's definitely been like defensively angled games and environments. But yeah. the attention to detail, the hustle, the the, the, the again, I, I'm using this word a lot this episode, the ruthlessness. Like they pick up the disc and they just march it into the end zone. It's John mm-hmm. Randolph doing five yard passes 10 times on you and then fist pumping like he just caught a layout Callahan when they get the break score. I mean, they are obsessed right now with not only execution and winning, but by making that a sizable margin between them and their opponents, right? I mean, they are just yeah. routing people. And this goes back to championship weekend, too. You know, they were just closing games out against the Union and Carolina, who are superpowers in their own right. And it's just, mm-hmm. it becomes a question of, is this the same New York team that DC faced in the East Division final <laughs> where the Breeze came within one game? I don't know. You know, like... I think that DC's defense has some interesting uh, pieces to combat New York's offense. You know, we've talked constantly about David Cranston and Jasper Tom's job and Ryan Osgar last year in the playoffs. They expect mm-hmm. to probably reprise those roles, switching off and giving Osgar a lot of different things to consider. Uh, Musa Jaw has played really well in deep space and AJ Merriman flanks him well in kind of that team help defense in the deep area. They can put a little bit of a lid on Lithiao and Babbitt just opening up the New York offense. You know, like DC has shown a capability to do defensively things that limit this empire attack. But on the flip side, if DC keeps struggling in the ways that they have the first two weeks, New York is going to run away with this game too. Like they just, yeah, they, they don't could. leave meat on the bone. They're carnivores right now. Like they just eat teams alive from the bottom up. You could see it happening against Serrano. I think I tweeted out in the first couple of possessions, like Russia moving the disc pretty well. And then it was like, they got drawn and quartered. It was like, there was, there was no ability to reset. Everything was just kind of siloed into these. Well, you've either got to take a reset or you've got to take a late stall huck downfield. Those are your choices. And it feels yeah. like after two games, those are your options oftentimes with this Empire defense. Like, I'm I, I'm wondering, if, to switch back to DC's offense real quick, mm-hmm. do we think the Rowan movement to D-line is good? I'll, I'll just, I'll leave the question like that. Or is it better to have that, like, pretty clear central cog in the offense, and are we just witnessing some, like, weird 
identity struggles with this new O-line that is now Rowanless. I think long-term, the shift to D-line makes sense. I agreed with that when I first started hearing about it in the preseason. I liked from what I saw early in the Carolina game, especially when Rowan got that block and immediately yeah. picked up. And then it's just Merriman hucking to jaw and open space and everything looks exactly how you scheme it up. Yeah. But I do think that it is good that they they were able to switch him back into his his natural role in the second half when they needed him to. And I think that that kind of adaptability is going to be really important. I think with For any sure. time you're sort of spelling a star on both lines, you need to just be able to have a certain amount of humility and accepting like, this isn't the right time to use them in that role. I need to put them back where they're going to be comfortable. And I think you saw that from Daryl Stanley and the DC coaching staff much to their uh, encouragement, you know, like, okay, things aren't working out. The offense does need more help. Let's get Rowan in there, you know, because he does yeah. just make everyone around him better. It's, it's, again, it's one of those things that gets repeated so often in sports and talked about team leaders and everything, but you, you watch how he functions in an offensive role or in an, in a role where a team is advancing the disc and there's mm-hmm. just, everything is, is, you know, playing well together. Like they had a couple of red zone possessions in the second half where it took them, you know, 20 plus passes when they're only 15 yards out, but everything's easy. It looks like they're playing handoff with each other. And then it's just Rowan hitting someone with a cute little blading back shoulder throw. Oh, that was a great, uh, I loved that. You you know, on the drive, like just like turning, cutting to the outside and rhythm. And, and again, like, I feel like the Breeze have had a lacking of that kind of spring-loaded attack that they have where they just sort of compress everything into small ball, make it so boring, and then the final is just sort of this cathartic assist into a wide-open receiver and some, you know, turn-the-page throw or something. Uh, yeah. And they're just... Well, they're and yeah, that's what, but that's that. what Rowan brings, right? Yeah, and I think totally. to, to compare Rowan's I, movement to the D-line to Ben Yacht's movement to the D-line, it's like... When they moved Yacht to the D-line, when New York did, it was like, okay, I like him on defense, and I kind of like him not on offense anymore, given everyone they have and given that he was a little turnover prone at times. But with Rowan, it's like, all right, I kind of like him on the D-line, but I don't love him not on offense, you know? Like, I, I, I feel like there is a bit of a hole there, and I know they have, like, so many pieces, but I don't know, it's, it's like having that guy that just knows when to get the disc into the end zone and knows to play small ball with a thousand throws. And I know that's kind of like going throughout the DC system, but it's like Rowan is the guy that all that was built around. So I don't know. I mean, I still expect them to use him plenty both ways. It's just, it's, it raises questions about this being like the right move to start him on D line for every game. I think you got to do it now though. I don't think this is one of those moves that you tinker with mid season. I think, Sure, sure. That last year with Yacht because they got John Randolph and Jabron Meeser in the middle of the season yep. and said, hey, we've got a whole bunch of pieces to play with here. Uh, I, I think that DC is doing the right thing by maybe taking some risks now in hopes that later that sure, will Sure, sure. And important. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that for as much as the Breeze have maybe had inconsistencies that we're not used to these first two weeks – this feels like the game where a lot of that goes away. You know, like the focus for you this game so. has been yeah. building since the offseason. And you can just feel that. This Breeze team in 2023 was constructed to take down the Empire. And this is their first shot at it. And I think that they really want to put a shot across the bow of this New York team that has been unchallenged for almost two years now. You know? They, yeah. It, it, they don't have a peer right now. And I think... DC really wants to be that Huckleberry role. They really want to give it to him. And I, I think that for as much as I have questions about them right now, I think that they play like the DC we expect them to. And I think we see a little bit more of that small ball mid-range, less of the deep looks, knowing that they can't take those attempts as much against this New York team. Right. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I expect a tightening of DC. It's felt like Similar sure. to Carolina and some of these other top teams, uh, they've been playing with a little bit more open lines, figuring out all of these new rotations and their new additions. You know, I, I feel like this might be a game more of 
here's what we know works, and we're just going to hit them with it for four quarters. Yeah. No, I can see it. I mean, I, I still definitely favor New York by at least a goal in this game, maybe two right now, just based on what I've seen from DC's offense right now. Whereas, like, yeah. before the season, I, I would think of these matchups as pretty 50-50. It seems like New York should be considered the favorite. And uh, in the player chatter survey this week, I think New York had uh, 75% of votes go their way and right. who players would think would win. So feels about right. Look, DC has been my championship pick since November of last year. I've been on Stick this train by them. early. I can't get off now. I'm going no, to take the goal at home. Like, I, I just think that I like it. this is a moment that they've been preparing for. I think they are experiencing a little bit of a little, little brother relationship with Philly. And they showed that last weekend where they got up big and then they just took their foot off the gas and took way too much for granted. I I, I don't think that they have that happen again. And so I, I think Breeze show up and I think... I think they finally put a chink in this New York armor. I, I think that it's finally time to show that they, this Empire team is mortal. Like, I, I just I feel like they have to have one bad game, right? When are they going to have one bad game? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They don't one. do it. They haven't they, done it know, in years. The last time they had it was that weird rain game against Philly early in the season last year. That was basically yeah. the last time that they had kind but of. But you need time. that's it. You you need conditions to be your your eighth defender but against then this they team. Have Jack Williams, who is amphibious in those can, conditions, and seems to go like forty four, forty five whenever it starts. Yeah, raining. he did in that He's game. He did in Montreal a couple weeks uh, after to start this season. He did it too, like against Philly again. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it becomes hard to think of solutions for New York because you start saying, oh, well, maybe you can consolidate the score a little bit, harsher conditions, uh, uh, longer possessions, sort of constricting the overall tempo of the game. But it's like they have some of the best players <laughs> in those incidents, you know? Yeah, know. it's a problem. Yeah. But that'll be Saturday night's AUDL game of the week. You can watch that and watch AUDL.tv. We're going to move on to the big matchups in the South Division that this weekend. I'm talking about the Austin Souls big two-game road trip starting on Friday night in Atlanta facing the 2-0 Hustle, who, for all intents and purposes, look like a top-five team this year, right? Like, they have Definitely. come into 2023 as impressive as any squad. They get a huge statement win against Carolina last weekend. They've got talent and playmakers in all of the skill positions. Their back end is playing their butts off. And now they face this this soul team that has put up, frankly, uh, uh, unfair advantages over their interstate rivals the first two <laughs> weeks of the season. You know, they, they took a 19-3 lead into halftime against Dallas last weekend. It, it, Reese Bowman is doing high-release flicks from midfield. Like, that wasn't a real game for the soul after <laughs> the first few minutes, really. And now they've got to face this hustle team who is executing as, as good as any team in the league. I'm a little worried about Austin in this matchup. This feels a little like their first meeting in 2022 when Atlanta blew the doors off of the soul defense with their deep attack. And what's funny is that the hustle have reined in a lot of those huck looks. They're they're much more choosy. They're more they're just as efficient as they were last season when they finished first yeah. in the league in huck efficiency. But they're 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 a machine right now in offense. And I know that Austin's defense has a ton of speed to match up well with them. I just don't know if the soul will want to play four quarters of grinding against this hustle team that looks very capable of just wearing you down over the course of a game that's kind of what they did against the flyers you know flyers made their run yeah in the in the middle part of that fourth quarter they almost got to tie it at right. 18s and then hustle just executed down the stretch they just kind of took their ball and went home so to speak of just you know no this is our game we're closing it out now yeah it's it's just so hard to talk about austin analytically right now considering they've only played houston and dallas like i just have no idea what to make of them yet this year so i'm excited for this weekend getting to see them against atlanta and carolina like these are their their biggest tests of the season these are the teams that we expect to be in the playoffs by the end 
So it's going to be very telling, like what this pecking order is going to look like early on, and then how these teams develop down the stretch too. I think Austin does have the talent to play with Atlanta. Oh, it's yeah. just yeah, we've we've Thousands seen Atlanta now. Like they're just looking at the top of their game immediately in the first two weeks of the season. So it just seems like their offense is going to be tough to stop. And I think it. I think Austin, their best chance is just going to be if their offense can also click and just hang with Atlanta the whole game, then hope that maybe they can you know, somehow outplay make them defensively. But Atlanta's bringing in big Misha Frey setter this game. They're getting back Hayden Austin Nab as well. So this is also looking like the best Atlanta team roster-wise that we've seen so far this season. So I, I don't know. I just want an all-big lineup. I just want like a Frey setter, Hallsmeyer, Dean Ramsey, you know, slot in whoever else uh yeah and just let them go to work really on both sides of the disc that's what i'm i'm most hoping for on friday i would i would love that you know me i'm all big well austin i will say austin's got like like oliver fay uh josh drodowski mick walter all those guys are like six five plus Reese Bowman's big too. Ghost, like I, this is this is like so much combined height in this game i can't wait so you talk about not knowing much about this Austin team. One of the newer facets that I've been interested in watching develop is something that we talked about going into the season, which was Jake Radak would be getting a new backfield partner this year. And who would step into the role that Paul Starkle has filled the last few seasons on this team. And mm-hmm. so far that has been Duncan Fitzgerald. I say that with surprise because he has been <laughs> kind of a a later rotation defensive player for DC prior he to was for one season, right? He for just played one, one year in DC. Two years. I think he played 2021 and 2022. He pl- I think Did he only made three appearances last year. Uh huh. He was he was a good uh rotation defender. Like he got a fair amount of takeaways. He looked good in transition oh, yeah, right. as a counterattacker, but I think he literally had, yeah, his first game of the season, he had more completions than he did in the entirety of last year. Now I think in two <laughs> games, red. he has more completions. I'd have to look it up, but I think he has more completions than he has had up to this point in his career. And that's all to say that Fitzgerald has looked really good as kind of the supplementary role alongside Radak's bigger arm. Radak is still going to yep. be the QB1 taking most of the downfield shots. But Fitzgerald, with his agility and suddenly his precision, he's quick. He's he's such a good volume add, and I think it's a really nice pairing with Radak because they're both, I think, above average in terms of their athleticism for handlers, and so they can have mm-hmm. a good amount of mobility in the backfield. But they don't have to supersede their roles and start clogging into the downfield space and coming up what really makes the Austin Soul offense flourish, which is their kind of striking core led by. Evan Swiatek, Kyle Hankey, Mark Evans, you know, and a few other very, very good players. Um, yeah. I expect those players to play really well in this game. Again, I think my concerns with the soul is getting this test of an offense after playing Houston and Dallas, who we kind of expect to be two of the worst offenses this season. Yeah, potentially. I mean, Houston, the jury's still out on. Again, we have a one-game sample size, so it's hard to say, but... I'm. Yeah. I think Austin's defense had good performances last year, but if you go back and you look at, uh, at their games against Atlanta and Carolina when those teams are at full strength, those teams put up a lot of points on the soul. Like those games were That's true. 23 plus goals, 24 plus goals. What did Carolina have in the South Division final? Was it 26 to 22 or is that the first game? No, the South Division final was I think 22 20. But when the, but when Austin went to Carolina, I think Carolina put up twenty seven or something like yeah, that. Or maybe like, Atlanta did. Maybe they both did. Austin gets caught up in the environment of wanting to run and gun, and I totally understand that given their skill set. I think yeah. it becomes a problem against these specific competitors, and that Carolina and Austin, or Atlanta love to run in the open field too. They love to get fast break hucks. They love to kind of push the scoring tempo up through the ceiling and. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the soul need to kind of go against that. You know, their, their win against uh, the hustle at home last year that effectively clinched them a playoff uh, spot that mm-hmm. was gained through a very low scoring game that had, yep. you know, a bunch of defense as kind of its primary feature. And I think 
the soul need to figure out a way to kind of reconstruct that to sort of limit Austin's potential for big plays on offense. They're kind of, uh, what do they always call explosives in the NFL is what they always refer to it. You know, the Bengals have true terrific explosives on offense. I think sure, sure. Austin needs to limit Atlanta's explosiveness. I know that in, in, even if that doesn't come in the form of limiting their deep hucks, it comes in the fact of them just putting up a bunch of points. Yeah. I agree with you on, on the Atlanta for sure. Like they got to do something to limit this hustle offense. I don't know what it is they're going to do because it, it just looks so clean to this point so far. But Carolina matchup is a little more interesting because whereas, I don't know, last year I would say definitely Carolina could like outpace Austin and just like play a better offensive game from them overall on any given day. I don't know if that's the case this year just based on what we've seen from Carolina. So I kind of feel like I... I could see Austin edging out Carolina if it's just like an offensive, you know, back and forth. Whereas with Atlanta, I think Atlanta definitely has the upper hand in that type of game. So, yeah. I just, I like Carolina with their back against the wall, you know, in this 0-2 hole, playing at sure, home, sure. getting the soul in the second game of a back-to-back against a team that's going to push them the night before, like, this Atlanta team is going to speed test Austin. And then the Flyers get to kind of sit back. They're returning Matt Kuchohannes to the lineup. I expect a little bit more stability. And I actually expect them to slow everything down and make it kind of a, a an attrition game. How they often play Atlanta. You know, I think that was one of the more remarkable mm-hmm. things about Atlanta's performance this past weekend was that they finally kind of bursted through that ceiling that the Flyers defense had done such a good job of putting over them. Landon, right. their four prior matchups failed to score 20 points, and then they erupted for 24. So 24 this past weekend, 23. Yeah, I think 24, 19, or 25. Yeah, but you could see them engage that higher gear of their offense that they just couldn't do against the Flyers in their right. previous four matchups. And I worry that, again, due to fatigue, due to not quite having a quality opponent this year, Flyers might be able to put some clamps on Austin in the second game of this road trip. Yeah, well, I mean, as we're transitioning to Carolina, let's talk about the Carolina offense, though, because no Saul Yannick this week, right. no Alex Davis. They're again going to go through some like rotational growing pains. I love that Gujo Hannes is back in the lineup, and I, I do think his pairing with Elijah Long in the backfield makes a little bit more sense than what we saw with Yannick and Elijah Long, where both those guys are slightly more aggressive throwers. Um, I think Gucho Hannes just like brings such a nice balancing presence to any backfield. So I am hopeful for Carolina that they can get back on track and look more like their old selves. But at the same time, it's just looked like like a grab bag of like, you don't know what you're getting on any given possession. They still don't have much of an identity. And I just don't know how like another lineup change is going to lead to like more offensive efficiency than we've seen from them so far. Do you think that they still have, though, just the playmaking talent to basically punch with any team. Because I think that that's what they even saw showed these past two weeks, that the second they kind of yeah. get a little bit more rhythm, they're going to be in every single one of these games and probably taking a lot of them. I mean, Jacob Fairfax was a force last weekend. For sure, and for sure. They have a few players who can just step into those roles and kind of change the outcome almost by themselves. I mean, we saw Anders Jungs do it a bunch in 2021, and he even did it a little bit in 2022 in his spot starting. He was great in both Austin matchups, the first one of the season, and then in the playoff game. He missed the middle mm-hmm. one at Austin, but he was a terrific performer against the Soul last year. I, I just still like Carolina a lot in one-on-one matchups against the Soul. It's not to take anything away from the Soul players and how well they've been playing the past two seasons. I just think it's that Carolina pedigree that they've built, that they have traditionally owned this matchup and that they often win on a you know individual base up, basis across the board. Excuse me. I think Austin obviously can challenge that as much as they ever have this year. I think that they yeah. stand almost on equal footing with Carolina in terms of talent. I just don't know if this is the right matchup right now for the soul. Like I, I again, sure. coming off a game the night before against another top flight team, right, right. facing a flyers team that needs a win right now. It, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. Again, like but, we had our doubts about Austin last season and they proved us wrong like every time. So 
Right, right. I mean, the, yeah, the thing that's so enticing about this weekend is, like, I just, I need to see it from Carolina. Like, I'm still at the point where I just need to see, like, four-quarter consistency from either their offense or defense, and the ability to close out a game, too, because... Both games against D.C. and Atlanta, they were kind of in it in like the third quarter, start of the fourth. But then it was the other team. And, and, you know, historically, it's always been Carolina closing out these games, which has just not been the case this season. So, yeah, Carolina's kind of in like uh, a situation where they can be like, okay, like, hey, we're still Carolina. I know we lost those two games, but we're still a top five team in the league. Austin, great test. Back to back nights. Love that. And then Atlanta can just assert themselves as current kings of the South if they want to with a win. So it's like a lot to prove is on the line with both these games. So it should be an awesome weekend. Very excited. Yeah, there's going to be a lot uncoded about what the South Division has to offer at the top end uh, after this weekend, I think. You know, yeah, I don't want to react immediately and over the top about what it means because i think these these back-to-back <laughs> doubleheader road trips are so brutal for the traveling teams, sure sure especially when you have competition this elite but it it will reveal a lot um yeah we should we should continue to push forward though i know we want to get to just kind of individual takes we'll each be giving uh how we think each of these next Three games can be won for either team. We'll start in the Central Division with a matchup between the 0-2 Indianapolis Alley Cats traveling to face the two-time reigning Central Division champion Chicago Union and their 2023 home opener. Uh, Chicago will be without a couple of starters, most notably Sam Kaminsky and Asher Lance, but they will be featuring Nate Goff, uh, Christian Johnson, who was just recently announced before the season signing with the team, longtime veteran, Team USA member in U24, and a whole bunch of other of their core members. Andrew Shogren, who signed with the team over the offseason, will be making his 2023 debut. It will be a big, big opportunity to see what the union look like post Pavel. And for Indy, they got to get a win. They just need a win. They can't fall to 0-3 and be the first team in the Central Division to three losses. It's going to be too tight of a playoff race. Um, What do you see each team needing to do in order to get the W? So for Chicago, it's interesting because, yeah, it's the first game post-Pavel, but they also aren't going to have Sam Kaminsky. So, like, this isn't going to be the top, top offense. I think they might be missing one other guy that I'm forgetting right now. But Oh, uh, Eli Artemakis. Oh, Artemakis, right, right, yes. So, like, top Union O-line, this is not going to be it. Hopefully we do see them down the road at some point. But to me, like, when you take out Pavel, you take out Kyle Rutledge, you take out Jeff Weiss, you're just left with, like, Arters, Barker, Jack Shanahan. I view, like, that, those three guys as, like, the throwing core. And Nico Lake presumably should slot back in to O-line. He played in 2021, was a, a very solid kind of backfield presence throughout that season. But, like, the explosive plays, that's what I'm going to be looking at, is, like, the big continuation plays, getting Shogren downfield, getting him involved early, Barker, Shanahan, Arters, all launching the disc. If they can, like, connect on those explosive plays enough, especially early in the game, and really just, like, set the tone of, like, a fast-paced offense, I, I like that for their chances. But it's going to be easier said than done. I just don't think they're going to be able to have, like, these calm, methodical possessions, which might come back to bite them. So it's going to come down to like, can they connect and and how quickly can they do that? I think for me, for Indy to win, it's almost the opposite. I think they have to play their most boring <laughs> game of the season and almost go yeah, for less I than agree five with that. attempts. I think that they've gotten away from what made them effective last year, which was swinging the disc and kind of just boiling everything down to a simplicity that's hard to get past, you know, like mm-hmm. how they won at Madison last year and effectively clinched their playoff spot was through a lot of really boring drives. I think that they need to go back to that strategy because they, they're just having too hard of a time producing turnovers on defense. It's a young defense. It's still getting its foot underneath of them. Aside from Jake Fella, they don't have a lot of personnel who can really win their one-on-one matchups and you saw last week against minnesota when they don't get opportunities other teams are just going to be able to surge past them a little bit you know and it just requires their offense to play so much more efficiently puts additional pressure on them and it's just it's it's a little out of balance so i think for indy they need to get back to the simple stuff they just need to get back to what works they need to 
kind of go away from some of the cute looks that they like to take and some of their transition opportunities. And they really need to figure out how to get this road win. Because again, like 0-3 is pretty disastrous for the Alley Cats who we expected to be right in the thick of this playoff race. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that for sure. I think defensively too, like I, I do think they're going to have more opportunities to convert breaks. So getting back to their, their 67% D-line conversion rate or whatever it was last season, that would definitely be helpful for them this weekend. And Xavier Payne has been playing on offense their first two games. I'd like to see him reprise his defense. Yeah, I I don't know how he played. He played well. He played well against Minnesota. He was a little shaky against Atlanta, continuing to test Brett Holzmeier the amount of times he did. But yeah, it's kind of like how we were talking about Rowan before. I like Rowan on D-line, but I I don't like him not on offense. It's like I I don't mind Xavier Payne on offense, but I don't like him not on defense. You know, I think they kind of need that that presence and he's yeah he's an athletic playmaker like he'll get blocks for you too yeah yeah um moving right along we'll move to an east division matchup again an Owen 2 team backed into a corner philadelphia phoenix will be going on the road and facing the 1-0 boston glory who got a 13 goal win over toronto and their 2023 <laughs> home opener orion cable looking like a galactic superstar once again in a season debut he's now got 10 goals Damn near 700 receiving yards in the last two seasons in his first starts. Uh, I was asking you this before the show. <laughs> I don't know outside of Jeff Babbitt that I would trust a player in one-on-one space to just come up with a disc or make a play than Cable right now. I, he's what, 21? He's awesome. Maybe. He's just a beast, man. And the thing is, is that the harder you play him, the more he kind of wants to try and score. And I'm worried a little bit about that with this phoenix matchup the phoenix big defenders like to get into your space they like to play a little bit more physical that activates orion cable that makes him hulk up and when he's hulked up he can score like eight goals in a game and one (laughs) thing that just got reminded last week with this boston offense is that they have a lot of explosives you know like when they're at full strength and they've got ben sidoke and cole davis brand in the backfield distributing they've got topher davis who every single season i'm like Topher Davis is a really good ultimate player who fits in a lot of good places. He's playing well for them. They've got Tanner Hulkyard back who pairs with Cable to give them one of the best mm-hmm. offense. Big tandems. Like there's there's a lot to like here. And against this Philly team that's it has looks for runs at times, but is still very much trying to find its identity and its rotations, I'm worried about them. And so I think for Boston, it's playing very similarly to how they played this last weekend. It's coming out, show of force, testing deep space, making Philly show that they can shut down Cable and Hulkyard and their bigs, and just kind of coming up with a high-scoring game. You know, the the Glory defeated the Phoenix Open their 2022 season in a 25-24 to 24 shootout. I kind of expect something similar in this game. For the Phoenix... I think offensively, very similar to Indy, they've just got to figure out a way to simplify things. They're getting they're getting a little bit into the expectations that they had coming into this season, and I don't know mm-hmm. that it's working out well for them, and I think that they just need to go back to bread and butter. If that means feeding Greg Martin for 10 goals a game, feed Greg Martin <laughs> for 10 goals a game. You know? Like, I, I think that they sensed a sense, they had a sense of their depth at the end of last season that I think is really good for their development, but I'm worried that they're, they're getting away from sort of the playmakers that put them in the position best to succeed. I worry that they're, they're taking touches away from certain players and putting them into developing others. And I think that that is great long-term when you're Owen two and battling as hard as they are in the East division. I worry about that. Mm-hmm. experimentation. It's sort of like the inverse of what we were just talking about with DC and Carolina. They have more, flexibility and room for error i think as far as that goes i don't think philly is afforded that unfortunately they have to kind of hit their lineups exactly each of these first few games otherwise they're gonna fall out of contention super early in the season because the east division third playoff spot battle is going to be way more contentious than i think we were anticipating yeah for sure i i do think this is a game that the Philly offense can definitely get back on track yeah, against Boston. I think so. We, I, we I, don't I know. 
Chris Bartoli well, is a is a big. Kid. He had a great game. He is great in deep space for the Boston defense. Gus Halfland is playing really well. They have some nice big defenders. They, I think they set a franchise record for most blocks in a game uh, yeah. against Toronto. It was like their seventeen best performance, performance by far. Brandon McCann yeah. was fantastic in the counter attack. Like their defense yep. looked good and i don't say that often about their team right historically the, i mean the past two seasons though they have not been a very good defense they've been a very beatable defense they've found themselves in a lot of these shootout type games i mean week one of last year was philly and boston just going at each other's throats offensively just launching the disc it was like ryan would just throw it up to pollard and then cable would come down with one over like two guys the next possession so I, you know i think philly should have an easier time after playing New York and DC in their first two games of the season. But you're right. I mean, it's it's kind of like they have to get right this game or else they're definitely going to be in trouble. For Boston, it's just, it's feed Orion Cable. Like, he, if he's active, just feed him. Throw it to him wherever he is on the field. Doesn't matter. We saw him do it last year. We've seen him do it this year. No one's catching the disc over him. All right, uh, uh, on to your, the final game we will be just kind of going over in this preview pod. We're moving out to the West Division. The 3-0 and Salt Lake Shred facing the 1-0 and Spiders in Oakland. Ostensibly uh, a preview of a possible playoff matchup and two teams that will be fighting for presumably the second and third seeds in that West Division. Oakland, of course, coming up big in week one with a, a super enthusiastic end of overtime win at home and salt lake we talked so much last season about their inefficiencies on offense about how they got out of rhythm about how they had these turnover issues they have been solving those i wrote about it in this week's power rankings they have been diminishing their turnovers game to game from 18 to 13 to 11 in their three wins they are just getting so good at playing at the margins and making adjustments in game in Friday nights come from behind win in Portland when they fell behind eight to three in the first quarter to the nitro, they committed, I think seven turnovers or six turnovers in that first frame. And then they committed seven in the next three quarters. You know, they're, they're able to take what the defense is giving them adjust and reattack in different ways I think that Kerr is playing as well as he ever has, albeit not at the highest volume, but we've been stressing for the longest time that he was one of those players who we kind of wanted a few more of those scoring looks taken away so that they could redistribute and become a little Mm -hmm. bit more balanced and have more points of attack. That is what is happening so far at the shred offense. They look so, so well oiled. Elijah Jaime fits in great. Jace Dunabile is playing fantastic. He's been awesome. 12 goals through four games. And it's just He's what they need on that back end fill cut spot. Like he, his timing and his sense of the offense is so good. I think for Salt Lake, they just need to keep playing how they've been playing. They need to keep focusing on this offensive efficiency and allowing their defensive playmaking to come through in moments. Uh, I, I don't always trust the shred schematically defensively because I do think they allow for fast break opportunities with the amount of layouts that they attempt. They're simply yeah. going to give up, I think, some throwing in transition if they miss yeah. on some of their hunting bids. But they're like the top takeaway team in the league the past year and a half. So and I, I think that they're going to get their opportunities against an Oakland team that still gives the disc up a fair amount. Um, and I, I, I think that the shred come away with a win. I think... For Oakland, I think what they need to do is figure out a way to keep Salt Lake's offense in front of them. Don't let Elijah Jaime and Jay Stunabal and Jordan Kerr and Will Selfridge beat you behind you. Keep everything in front of you and make them play small ball. I think you have to take away the Sean Canole over-the-top backhand hucks because when they start landing those... They just get so much confidence and they have they so come much in openness to the field that they're impossible to contain. So I think for Oakland's defense, they just got to figure out a way to kind of put a lid over that deep attack that the Shred love to engage. Yeah, no, I agree. Oakland defense is going to be super key in this one because their offense just isn't going to keep pace with Salt Lakes unless they're getting consistent defensive pressure and somehow can throw Salt Lake out of rhythm. Because right now, I mean, Oakland is like, We've 
I guess we've only seen them in one game so far this year. But they look really good at times. We, we can kind of see the ceiling of the offense, but I think we're both expecting a little bit of inconsistency and just not the most uh, fluid possessions, you know, time in, time out, where it looks like Salt Lake is kind of just in rhythm and they don't really get out of rhythm. At least they haven't so far. I do think their best bet is probably taking advantage of some of those puck looks. So maybe if they can bait them and then come down with some discs they also i feel like there's always a lot of wind in oakland so that might also be their best shot of winning if it can just like kind of turn into a scrappy turnover fest like i just don't think oakland's gonna win a clean start to finish game against the shred team it took a second half comeback uh for the shred to win in oakland last year so the spiders do have i think a good amount of confidence coming into this matchup they have way better personnel this season than they did last year. I mean, Mac Hecht is a player that this franchise is a caliber of player. This franchise hasn't had in quite some time. And yeah, he looks for all intents and purposes, like one of the best throwers in the league. I expect him to have another big performance against Salt Lake. I just, I Oakland is still one of those teams who they need to prove it a little bit. Like they still for don't sure. have a quality win. They're still kind of this team that puts up a bunch of points against Portland and gets their wins against Seattle. But like when it comes to facing right. the thread, the defense isn't quite there yet. And so, yeah, I, I just want to see their defense be able to keep them in this game. I think that they, right. they'll get right. takeaways. Like one of the things that the Spiders defense is good at getting is blocks. They struggle sometimes to convert those into breaks and they just won't mm-hmm. be able to do that against this shred team that is getting more and more efficient by the week. Yeah, well said. Well, that will do it for our week three preview pod. Games will start on Friday night on watch.eudl.tv. The Austin at Atlanta game will be featured on Friday. The AUDL game of the week between DC and New York will be on Saturday night. There's, I think, 13 games this weekend. It is an That's absolute big. Did not realize full that. slate. Yeah, we haven't touched on a lot. But there yeah. <laughs> is an abundance of ultimate to watch and intake this coming weekend. We will be tuning in alongside you. Thank you so much for tuning in alongside us here and now. We'll be talking to you soon. Bye now.